Welcome to Caring Too Much with Alexandra and David, where we talk about topics that we care too much about. I'm Alexandra. And I'm David. Welcome to our first week. Uh, This week we are talking about the commodification of pride, seeing as we are heading into June uh, for us tomorrow, but we'll already be in June when this gets released. Let's get started. Um, what? You mean TD Bank isn't actually trying to save the queers? <laughs> I I have yet to see some evidence. Um, in fact, we have lots of evidence to the contrary. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you mentioned TD. I mean, I think it, for, for anyone who's listening and is also in Toronto, or at least has been to Toronto Pride Month, um, th- whether you know it or not, you know that they are the main sponsor of Pride, and I confirmed that by Googling it. They are, in fact, the top sponsor of Toronto's Pride Festival, um, or, or whatever the official name is for the company that runs Pride in Toronto or the n- organization that runs Pride in Toronto. Um, they have Their top-tier sponsor is TD Bank. And... Yeah, I think it's interesting that we have a giant bank that is supposedly, you know, if you're looking at, at that, like there are people who'd be like, they're our top ally to the queer community in Toronto. If we're, you know, if we're talking about Toronto, we'll, we'll be specific. But I just think that's interesting because nothing about TD Bank <laughs> stands out to me as, wow, there's an ally. <laughs> and um, not, not, not to derail this already, but it also depends how you're conceptualizing a, a queer community. Um, because if you have any degree of intersectionality in there at all, um, like, like banks are actively harmful uh, to, towards a lot of people who, you know, maybe not because they're queer, but a lot of people who are also queer, um, you know, like banks are not good for people of color. Banks are not good for poor people. Um, And in case for any listeners who were not yet aware, there are queer people of color. There are (laughs) queer poor people. Um, And I I think that's the biggest thing that to me just stands out is so missing from when you see like TD Bank, we're sponsoring Pride. And it's like, okay, but you're also the ones denying people like houses because, you know, like they can't afford a mortgage. I don't, Disclaimer, I don't know how any of that stuff works. I've never looked into buying a house because it's so far beyond my realm of possibility. Um, but, you know, all, the, all those different things that, you know, banks are just not, like, they're not anyone's ally, you know? So why do we accept them so easily as like, oh, they threw, I don't know, I'm going to randomly guess a couple thousand dollars, $10,000, $100,000. I have no idea how much it takes to become that top tier sponsor of Pride. It's not necessarily advertised but it, it's so it's it's interesting how you know they throw some money at us and we're like yes like it's <laughs> oh my god the best ally ever but it's like what about a bank if you like don't like take out queer ally or take like whatever any sort of other aspect like what about a bank is really an ally to you like not much like nothing about a bank makes me think oh i love the bank <laughs> <laughs> they're doing so many great things right now. And I, I did look up, like, you know, I'll give them credit. It looks like when it comes to the whole like corporate world, they have a pretty decent 
you know, like queer employee support program, like they've got employee resource groups and, and all those sorts of things that I, I guess it, it is something, I think it's good, you know, to have employee resource groups, like those sorts of things. But I just think it's so, it's not good in the sense like, oh my God, you are doing so much. It's like, oh, cool. You did the bare minimum. Thank you. Like, and yet here they are at like the front of every Toronto pride parade at, at like with their logo is on every single, obviously not this year, but like uh, every single stage that's happening at pride, every single event TD's logo is there. Yeah, absolutely. It just makes no sense to me. Um, because uh, like, I mean, I know for me, you know, as a, as a queer person in Toronto, I have never been helped by TD. Like, like there's nothing that they've invested in, like other than the pride festival, there's nothing that I've been, you know, either a resource I've accessed or an event I've gone to. And I've been fairly involved in like queer community things, you know, in the last couple of years. And I've just never been like, Oh my God, there's TD. Like it's once a year. It's at Pride once a year. TD shows up. They put a rainbow sticker on everything, and they're like, "We love you." And then some of their branches forget to take those rainbow stickers down, and they pretend <laughs> like they cared all year long. And I, I mean, I think we're going to get into this a bit more later on. But I, I think you mentioned like a distinction there, where investing in the Pride Festival is not the same thing as investing in the queer community, um, and it doesn't mean that that you're materially helping people with anything other than like that one or I mean I guess it's like a weekend long thing but like like those few parades um you know and other than that the whole rest of the year um whatever is going on with people you know there's 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 no help from the pride sponsors well I think so I think there's that you know like there's the fact that yeah, like I, I don't see really TD doing other things other than the Pride Parade, which like is a thing. Obviously, the Pride Parade does something for the queer community, but it's if that's where your support stops, it's kind of like, well, I don't really view that as enough. But I think also something interesting you mentioned, Alex, is you mentioned parades, right? Mm-hmm. There are multiple parades during Pride Month. There is, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it, it used to at least be called the Dyke March. I, I think it still is. I believe it still is. It, it hasn't happened for, I guess, two years now because we're in June. Um, but, you know, there's the uh, there's a, a specific parade for the trans community. Um, and none of them get that prime time. I think it's Saturday is when the like the big parade happens or whatever. That sounds right. Honestly, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of any of the parade. It just screams corporate to me. So I, I'm a little hazy on that, especially because, again, it's been a couple years. But they don't – like, TD isn't even out here doing the bare minimum performative stuff. Like, where are the trans flags in, you know, TD banks? Or is the TD also the platinum sponsor of the Dyke March? Or is it just the Pride Parade? You know, like, I think even just that, it's – and this goes into – the thing that I did a little bit of research for, because we do research on this podcast. Um, it's things we care about so much that we're willing to avoid our school-related research research for this podcast. <laughs> um, just kidding. I don't believe either of us are in classes right now. Um, but I came across a blog uh, from a blog post from UBC 
Uh, I believe it was a student at UBC who was doing it for a class or something like that. It didn't have a name directly attached to the blog. Um, but basically the quote goes something along the lines of like, their ads served as a reflection of their culture of inclusiveness illustrated by their various PR activities, such as sponsoring the pride parade. TD's Isn't choice. That... Oh, oh, wait, oh no, wait, it's not done yet. No, it's, it's a little bit longer quote. Forgive me. TD's choice of using non-traditional couples in their ads did not necessarily target the LGBT community, but rather clients and prospects that are supporters of diversity. And I think that really speaks to what TD is doing this for. It's, it's not to support the queer community. It's to capitalize on us. It's like they're hoping that they see, oh, TD sponsors all the Pride Parade stuff. That means I'm going to go bank with them. That's all they want. And it's, it's a little bit of a tautology as well, right? Like the Pride activities illustrate their culture of inclusiveness and the culture of inclusiveness amounts to the, the Pride activities. Mm-hmm. Um, And like I said, you know, I did my research, you know, they do have some, it it seems like comparatively to other places, they have a fairly like good or a fairly large, I won't say good because I haven't experienced it, but a fairly large internal support program for, you know, their queer employees as well, which isn't really what we're here to talk about. It's it's, because that doesn't really change the fact that they're doing all this to capitalize on us. So like, I just don't want to dismiss because this a little bit later we have have another discussion about, you know, um, the people who sometimes create these initiatives within companies. But uh, so I don't want to say like there's probably someone who cares a lot within TD who made a really great program that supports their queer employees. Good for you. If you're that person, high five. But as a company, TD does not care. TD only cares because they've realized that there is a lot of white gays who have money because at the end of the day, yes, we've been bullied, but we still have money because we're white. You know, like that's, that is, that is like the, you know, like that's how um, the word intergenerational wealth, like, yes, there are people whose families, you know, maybe cut them off from that, but there's still a lot of us, you know, I've got after a rough two or three years, I've got the support of my mom. So like I've, got that access and that is what the bank is like i want your money that's all they care about (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day and we'll we'll talk later about you know the intersection of race with with pride Um, but at the end of the day that's what it is like it's finally become a profitable and uh it's not something that will sacrifice their image to too many people because the world, I mean, the Toronto has come to a point where I would definitely say the majority of people are not openly homophobic. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, you, you made a, that quote, um, that you read out made a very good point that it's not just the, the white gays with money. Um, but it's also the people who, you know, the, the, the cishet people who have money and it's important to them to, to feel like allies. Uh, and if they do that by going to a bank with rainbow flags in the window, instead of like doing anything substantial, then TD will capitalize on that. Yep. Yep. No, that, I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's, there's a market for it and they've decided that we are, They've decided they care about us as the queer community because we are finally a market that they are like, oh, you're big enough to exploit. And, and that's what it comes down to. Um, 
But one of the things that I did say is, you know, a company is huge, you know, like I, I couldn't even tell you how many people work at TD and I didn't research it because it wasn't really relevant. <laughs> um, but the next thing I want to talk about is I recently saw, I was scrolling on Twitter, one of the only social media sites that I open up to enjoy these days. Can't um, believe you enjoy Twitter. Unthinkable I, to me. I love Twitter. It is, you know what? Add that. We'll add that to a future episode list why Twitter is better than other social medias, but that, that's another story for another day. Um, I came across a, I think it was a tweet from like at Lego or whatever. Um, and it was a link to an article about a pride Lego said they were releasing this year. And my first thought was ugh, like great, another corporation. And I honestly thought, okay, great. Add this to the list. This is something we can talk about in the first episode. Cause this is another great example of a company just trying to exploit. However, I was like, you know what? I want to read the article because I'm going to do my proper good research like a proper podcaster would. Um, and the person at Lego who created this Lego set grew up um, as a, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll quote them directly. So being LGBTQIA plus myself, I knew I needed to step up to the plate and make a real statement about love and inclusivity and generally spread some Lego love to everybody who needs it representation is so important i grew up in the 80s and was obviously a gay kid there was a lot of negativity back then around being gay it was right in the middle of the aids crisis when i was a young teen and that was incredibly daunting and scary so you know there is an employee a queer employee at lego who i believe don't quote me on this i i think they're like an exec level or something like that as well uh his name's matthew ashton uh, if you want to, I mean, if you look up Lego gay set, it'll come up as well, <laughs> which is which is what I Googled. Um, but, you know, that sort of thing is what makes it a little hard for me because it's like, I know, like, it is better than nothing to have a gay Lego set, you know, like, it just sucks that it comes back to who's profiting off of this Lego set. Lego is, it's not the queer community. So it just sucks that to me, like, I don't think this changes anything. It doesn't change the fact that at the end of the day, buying this Lego set is not, you know, quote unquote, good for the community. Um, Does it spread, you know, Lego love? Does it educate some people? Does it maybe make some kids who are growing up right now, maybe more aware and sort of sensitive to like queer issues? Maybe I'm sure it is doing some good, but it doesn't change the fact that it is capitalism being like, this is a market we can finally exploit. So like, the issue for me is I wish we had more avenues for like a queer person to have just like launched their own thing in support of the queer community. And it didn't have to be through an avenue, like some TD bank corporate, you know, whatever, uh, donating money or through, you know, a relatively similar program, which is a a queer Lego set. That's also no, no, no hate to Lego, but the Lego set was kind of lackluster as well. It wasn't that great. It was like, yeah, this is a corporate pride thing. Like this is nothing groundbreaking, nothing revolutionary. It was just a bunch of blocks. There were different colors. Um, and I just think, yeah, it sucks. Mm -hmm. That's that's something that I, um, kind of, kind of grapple with on a pretty frequent basis when I'm looking at like, not only pride stuff, um, but generally corporations trying to be like, Oh, we're socially responsible. I hate the phrase corporate social responsibility. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, just because like 
if if you're a big corporation, you not only exist within, but have like perfected and exploited this system that absolutely does not reward uh, any kind of real political stance. Um, mm-hmm. And so no matter how much you're like clapping back at homophobes on Twitter, you know, after oh. you announce your gay Lego set, at you're like, <laughs> uh, you're not going to go into any territory that is actually controversial. You're not going to actually fight for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, like are any of these organizations and even this is now something that would be like too little too late in my books at least um and and again we should you know this caveat obviously this is all our own opinions and we would love to hear from people um if there are any listeners who want to give us feedback on their own personal kind of ways cuz you know like for example i could absolutely see if you were some kid who had you know whatever, whatever experience, negative experience you might've had growing up gay. And like, there was a corporate, some sort of PR stunt that really helped you. Like that also can exist at the same time as these things that we're saying. It's just like, we're not saying there's no good and absolutely nothing good comes out of any of this stuff. It's just the whole situation that we're stuck in kind of sucks. Um, so we'd be happy to hear other people's viewpoints on this as well, but, um, I think for me, it's just like, what else are they doing? Like, and so the thing I was going to say is, Mm -hmm. you know, which I still think right now would be a little too late. Like if they did this 10 years ago, I'd maybe be like, oh, an actual ally. But how many of these companies are calling for an end to the blood ban? How many of these companies are, uh, how did these companies weigh in on the recent uh, conversion therapy bill that I believe still hasn't passed? Because I think I just saw a tweet today about a conservative, uh, like member of parliament or whatever um talking about why conversion therapy is good which i can't believe we're still in a time where that gets said out loud proudly um but you know what are these companies doing to advocate like are they using like some companies are using their power to be like we can at least speak up for these communities i don't ever see td doing that i don't ever see lego doing that and like I, I I have a little bit of experience in the kind of political um, sphere, and and like there absolutely are limits in Canada on what kind of political advertising and messaging corporations can can put out, especially in elections, um, and how they can spend their money in like explicitly political ways. But those limits are not so strict as to prevent any kind of of advocacy. They could be doing something. Um, exactly. They could be doing something. And the fact that they're not is is pretty telling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think this, this goes... Um, so we've reached the time for our first topic. So we'll go into our second, which I think relates, you know, very well still is, you know, especially when we're talking about how are you supporting the queer community? And we were talking earlier about intersections of things. Um, it was very telling a couple years ago um, who, what, why people were supporting the Pride Parade and why people, um, or people, organizations, et cetera, uh, where people really stood when it came to supporting the queer community. 
Yeah, because of course, uh, a few years ago in 2016, that's when Black Lives Matter Toronto uh, staged a, a sit-in, I believe, at the Pride Parade and halted the parade for about half an hour. Um, and that was actually the first Pride that, that I went to. So that was a, a fun experience. I had some like conversations on the way home with my partner at the time about that. Um, it was It was my first Pride as well from my memory, which I'll admit is not great, but if I am lying, it was, it was my second pride. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was my first pride. Um, and yeah, it was, it was interesting to see sort of what the reaction, I, I just, cause, so I remember for geographical context, it, I was walking to the parade because they were so pride, uh, sorry, BLM was the, uh, I forget what they call it. The, the signature group of the year or the the honorary group like an of the year. honored group or something like that every year they pick one or two sort of organizations usually like nonprofits doing good things uh to like lead the parade um and so they were at the front of the parade and when they got to college and young which i'm i'm sure not very coincidentally but very purposely is right by the Toronto police headquarters um they sat down in like the middle of the intersection and didn't let the parade go until they had uh, gotten their demands uh, accepted by the pride, you know, coordinators. I was underground. Uh, I had taken the subway and I was getting off at uh, what's it called? College, college station. And I came up a subway station. That is a subway station. Yeah. Um, I came up and it was like chaos. People were confused. No one knew what was going on. Um, and people were just saying the parade's been stopped. And I was like, is there like a problem? Like, you know, my, <laughs> my mind, cause I'm paranoid jumps to like, Oh, did someone get shot or stabbed or, you know, something like that. Um, but obviously that was not what happened. However, a lot of people reacted as if something as bad as a shooting or a stabbing or something of the like had happened. Yeah, no, there was a huge backlash against against BLM for that. Um, and really what it amounted to was, a, yeah, it was half an hour longer that the parade took, you know, where you have to look at the same float instead of a different float passing by. Um, and I I think not to... Um, make any you know huge assumptions, but I, I do think that we would have seen a different reaction if another group had halted the parade. Um, maybe White one group. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I mean, what BLM was trying to do with with the sit-in um, with their list of demands was to. Uh, counter uh, an ongoing process of Black queer people kind of being pushed out of the Pride Parade space. Um, and particularly, uh, I, th- I think they, they were like very much fronting Black trans women and Indigenous people who are some of the most vulnerable members of the queer community and who need the, the support and resources. I, I would venture. Well, and I just, um, I really quickly just want to say, like, not of their own or like inherent. Like, they are not the most vulnerable communities because, because that's a fact. Like, they are the most vulnerable because they have been the most ignored. 
um, over police, like all of those things, like we have made those communities, you know, through poor policy, poor decisions, lack of awareness, all those sorts of things. That's what has caused, you know, these communities to become disadvantaged. Oh yeah, no, certainly. Um, no, I, I know you know that, I'm just, you know. <laughs> and and speaking of over-policing, one of the really, really controversial things there, if anyone uh, doesn't already know that this happened, is that BLM demanded that police no longer be allowed to participate in the Pride Parade. Um, and oh my God, the, the fact that so many people so many queer people as well sided with like gay cops over the black queer community being made to feel unsafe in that space that was built for and by them um, mm-hmm. is 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 kind of ridiculous, especially in hindsight. Um, I think. I think with any sort of, you know, protest action that causes a major disruption, which is what a protest is supposed to do. If if your protest, if a protest is, you know, just putting signs up somewhere, you know, n- people don't pay attention. That's the reality. You know, people, people are, people love to say things like, oh, BLM should have done it in a less intrusive way. You wouldn't have paid attention. I would not have paid attention as much if it had not halted the parade for half an hour like it, it, that's what a protest is. You know, I remember a long time ago, my mom was complaining long story, but to drive to work, she passes York university. Um, she was complaining how the people at York are always protesting and it makes her commute longer. And I was like, okay, if they didn't make your commute longer, would you have ever thought given one single thought to what's going on there? Like, and that's the point. Right. And then mm-hmm. she was, my mom was like, Oh, well, I guess you're right. And I was like, yeah, that's what a protest is. You're not supposed to experience the, um, like the, the disadvantage or like the, whatever sort of lack of whatever that you lose from a protest, like convenience usually is like, you know, they cut off a, a an intersection or whatever, like whatever, whatever disruption it is. Right. Exactly. Like that disruption is supposed to be like, we have your attention now pay attention keep paying attention. And everyone hated them for that, even though, you know, they got what they wanted to do done. And I would also say they were standing up for the whole queer community too, because as we now know, and as people who were paying attention knew at the time as well, police are not an ally to any, you know, queer folks. Like they are absolutely worse, you know, when it comes to the intersection of queer and you know, people of color specifically, black folks and indigenous folks are the most, you know, over-policed. Yeah. But and they don't I care don't... for us either as, you know, the white gays that were, you know, <laughs> jumping to defend the police, they will just as happily not help you. It you know? was it was not that long after, right? That like a year the after. Bruce MacArthur thing came yeah. to light. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like a, a, a serial killer. <laughs> you know, preying on queer people in Toronto that the Toronto police had turned a blind eye to despite reports, many reports and people in the queer community raising the alarm for years and years. It was like more than a decade, wasn't it? Um, Because they Mm -hmm. don't care about queer people and 
Well, and that also, you know, had race involved in it as well. It was a a white serial killer who was mostly preying on uh, queer people of color. Absolutely. And so that was another aspect of it. Um, and a class issue as well. A lot of those people yep. were, sex were workers. unhoused sex workers. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just disappointing. So like, you know, and I mean, I'll say like full disclosure, you know, it took me, you know, a couple... I can't remember. This was 2016. I barely remember 2021 and we're in 2021, but you know, it took me a couple conversations, you know, reading some tweets, reading their statements and whatever to be like, you know, I like, yeah, I support this. Like this is, you know, great. And that's more than it should have, you know, you know, it should be something that obviously all of us are just like, yes, we support this. Um, But it it was just so disappointing because I remember for years after it there, I remember it was actually, there was one that happened, like, I think it was, they had booked out a Ryerson space for it. And that was why I specifically remember it was there was a, like a pride Toronto AGM where they were voting on whether or not to uphold the decision that basically like the pride person came to BLM in the street and signed their agreement. And then a couple days later was like, well, we were coerced into that. We're not actually going to uphold any of those things. So there was an AGM that happened at some point to uphold probably more things, but the one that was really top of mind was the ban on police. And I remember it passed, the ban was upheld. So police were not allowed. It, that was, that decision stayed by two votes. Wow. I was, didn't know that. Yeah. I, I don't remember. I, I this wasn't some of the, re- I got a little lazy with the research. Cause I was like, I remember this. I don't need to look it up. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, I am 99% sure it happened in like our, uh, pod 250, like that big room where the Senate meets and whatever, because we book out rooms on campus all the time. Um, and there was, yeah, it was like the showdown between, you know, it, it was, you know, talked about like the showdown between, you know, BLM and their demands and and the police really, which is just so, it's so wild to me that anyone other than potentially, you know, queer cops themselves showed up to that and voted for the cops because, yeah. It it's just it's so like I don't know I don't I don't get it, but that I know that comes from me just not understanding and not supporting cops in general, not as people but as as a as an organization as a you know the military cops whatever it is it's just like they're not solving problems they are policing us I and don't what if we policed ourselves I don't I don't I don't think it's really about. Um, cops though like like the support for the cops i think it's a, a lot of it was more about um getting back at blm for yeah for no absolutely package. yeah and, and um, that to me is still the fact that like you would rather get back you know at blm for stopping your precious pride parade for half an hour than support queer people in the community that that's what it came down to and people like i do think a lot of those votes were probably out of spite um you know but but that to me is just still so hard to wrap my head around it's like whether you like say like oh i can't believe that they voted for the cops out of spite or voted against the blm just because they hated blm or whatever like it's preposterous to me that people got mad at someone protesting during pride. Like mm-hmm. what like, a way what, to what show. Is pride? Well, what a way to show you have no understanding of what pride is supposed to be like, congrats. Yeah. And I you think, I, I think this calls back to, um, 
you know, something you mentioned about about our ideas of protest, um, you know, in, in this culture, that it should be polite and it shouldn't interrupt people um, and you should be able to easily ignore it and get on with your day. And mm-hmm. like coming from a South African background, that is something that bothers me so much about the attitude toward protest in, in Canada um, is just like you can't get anything done that way. And the fact that something is like people generally don't like to be disruptive. And if something is a big enough issue that a group of people is willing to stand up and or I mean, in this case, sit down, you know, and (laughs) and and, and, you know, acknowledge that they're going to get all that backlash and they are going to be hated for it, that they're going to take a stance and, and fight for you know, their, their space in this community. Um, well, I think that's, that's something that I think is not talked about a lot. And I, I went to the, uh, BLM Toronto website and this isn't necessarily like a quote from a person, but it's like a quote from their website. Um, the action, which, you know, referring to the sit-in at the 2016 pride parade put, BLM Toronto organizers at risk from the moment of the sit-in and the months following black activists were met with violence from people who did not understand the action that the group took. Nonetheless, it became a defining moment for scrutinizing police presence across cultural events, challenging mainstream notions of public safety and putting abolition into practice by reducing the scope of police. And it really did do all of that, you know, like they did by doing this one action they did, they, they made huge steps towards, you know, police abolition. Like we're now having conversations where motions are being put on the table at Toronto city council to reduce the police budget by 10%. Still not far enough, but that would have been inconceivable, you know, five, like before this action took place. Yeah. Um, we have like police are now banned from most pride parades, you know, like that is in Canada, but also in the States, like it's a thing that is becoming, a thing. And I say most in terms of like most of the big ones, like the big city pride parades. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, not, even, not even in the queer community across, um, across North America, mm-hmm. the conversation about police abolition and the harm the police do and the alternatives to that is being absolutely driven by black activists who are met with violence and yeah, who are putting themselves in danger from people who would then probably turn around and be like, Oh no, I'm, I'm an ally to the black community, whatever. I just think they should be quieter about it. Um, No. And I, I think even just like on a, like a personal, like not personal specifically just to me, but I think for a personal level, this was one of the sort of big things for like people around my age. I'm 23. Um, this was a big action, you know, that I think for me, it made me realize a lot of these things that I've said, you know, in the last couple minutes is like protest is not supposed to be fun and nice. It's supposed to piss you off so that you pay attention. Like that is the mm-hmm. point of it. You know, like it is like that taught me a lot of things even though they had no connection to let's like that action had no connection to let's say like um, indigenous people who time is very hard for me, but about a year ago, we're like blocking railway lines, you know, 
BLM doing this at the Pride Parade in 2016 taught me, you know, like, because I grew up in a white family, in a white suburb, like I had never experienced a protest before. And so this taught me, you know, all of those sort of underlying principles to like a protest and what a movement is about. So that when, you know, indigenous people were protesting, you know, about um, whether it was Wet Sudan or uh, 1492 Land Back Lane, um, it taught me like, okay, I see this thing. I mean, those ones honestly didn't really affect me because I was like, I don't really know or care how trains are moving. But, you know, I could choose to go that route of like, oh, why are you disrupting our daily lives? Or, you know, just because I've learned from sort of this, you know, uh, action, I now know like, okay, they need allies. What are they asking allies to do? You know? Yeah. Um, So I think they did. They did so much more beyond just even what they set out to do, which I think Mm -hmm. is is really cool. Um, but actually I think, I think this is a good, a good point to pivot a little bit toward what, what pride could be, um, you know, um, obviously we haven't had pride for, for a couple of years, but it has been for a while in Toronto, at least, um, very focused on the big like parade and the partying and, you know, clearly there's a potential for it to be more about activism. Um, and some of the other stuff that, that, that BLM were talking about, um, you know, it wasn't just take cops out of the parade. It was also about bolstering the community spaces in pride and supporting the very diverse communities within the queer community, um, and making sure that there was an active space being made for for everyone um yeah absolutely i i think you know from so i'm gonna sort of you know in this little section where we're talking about you know what will pride look like in the future my experience with this like right off the bat i don't like the parade you know i went i went once you know it was the year like i said when well actually i've went multiple times but you know when i went that first time you know, uh, BLM stopped the parade, but, and also just to go back really quickly to that past topic, they really like it, it ruined nothing, you know, like it really, it's not like it ruined the experience for people. Like it was such a small thing and people got so mad, but anyway, so that was, you know, that was a fun time. Like it was nice to see the pride parade that everyone talks about. I think Toronto's is the biggest in Canada. So like that was cool. That was great. That's fun. And I do think that there is a space for parades and, because a parade is a celebration of our community. I think that there is space for that at Pride, absolutely. However, it is such a, I think, poor way when it is held up as the, it is the main centerpiece of our Pride Month, you know, is the Pride Parade. What a horrible centerpiece. You stand in the heat. You have to rely on the people in the parade who have the water guns to bless you with some cold water. I so gotta say, stroke. Um, I... That was that was my favorite thing the year that I marched in the parade was you get a much greater exposure to water guns. Um, yeah, because you're in it the whole time. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like I think like it's just you know the fact that it's in June. Toronto's Junes are traditionally scorching hot. Um, one of the pride like pride parades that I like I said I I've gone to all of them but like for you know five minutes. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, bless you. I have to edit that out. Um, <laughs> you know, I've gone to the pride parades 
every year in the sense that like I've walked past it or I've seen it for five minutes. And so all of the ones that I've been to have been extremely hot. And it's just, it's just not like, you don't get to talk to people. You don't get to meet, you know, other queer people in the community. You don't get to learn more about anything. And at the end of the day, you know, like pride should really be about like, okay, how are we taking this energy that we've thrown all into like this week or this month or this day? And like, how are we going to keep this going? Because like one day a year or even one month a year, that, that the community doesn't hibernate for the other 11. Like we're still around. We're still looking for fun things to do. Uh, education, like we're still looking to get involved in meaningful things, or at least we should be. And, um, um, you know, as, as much as... Um, for you and and for me, the years that I've gone to Pride, the heat is is a real issue, and it's oh, yeah. you know it's loud, it's crowded, um, and those are all also accessibility issues. You know where mm-hmm. it's very much um, like maybe they put ramps in places, but that doesn't make it <laughs> solve <laughs> accessibility, yeah, right. universal access. Yeah, um, we have one ramp. If that's if that's the centerpiece of what you're trying to do, then that also sends a message about who you aren't focusing on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and pride, you know, like gay people are not the majority, at least not yet. Um, you know, and and like pride is about being like, okay, there's a specific community that needs, not needs, but like you know. How, it, it, this community, how can we cater to this community, you know, on pride weekend, the, how are, and then we turn around and within that, you know, the queer community, we're like, okay, but we're going to ignore people with sensory issues. We're going to ignore people with physical disabilities. We're going to ignore trans people. We're going to make this just a party for gay, cis, white men. And it's like, okay, that's not, first of all, we, we've already talked about it. It's because that's, you know, the group that overwhelmingly is spending at Pride. And that's why, it, you know, a lot of the time the things tend mm-hmm. to be for that group. But it just makes no sense in a an event, uh, a celebration that's supposed to be like, look, our community has survived through some really awful things. You know, there have been a lot of awful things in, in the, the gay, you know, history. Um, the gay history. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> um, in, in, you know, queer history, like there's been a lot of awful things. So like that to me is what pride is supposed to be. And one of the things that I, you know, uh, I worked at Ryerson as a residence advisor and a lot of the times you will hear me complain about my time, uh, working in residence as a residence advisor. Um, but one of the things I absolutely loved was the freedom that I was given one year to work on pride month. And every single event that I ran, I was told I had to run one event for the whole summer and I ran six in one month Um, (laughs) because I was like, oh, you're giving me an opportunity to make residents queer. Well, then we're going to make residents really queer. And also because you've uh, you've you've never you've never been any kind of uh, an overachiever with the, uh, the organizing stuff overachieving for student volunteer positions. I'm not familiar with that concept. Um. Because, yeah, was I paid extra? No, but obviously I knew that going in. Um, but anyway, the things that I organized, for example, we did a drag show. But part of the drag show was we also got extra clothes, you know, that people could feed, like dresses, skirts, whatever. And then the drag queen that we booked to come in and do the show interspersed the show with, like, queer history that even I didn't know having organized the event. You know, excuse me, they talked about 
and I'm going to expose myself really bad. I kind of did missed and forgot some of it because I was organizing the event and I was busy, but you know, they talked about like some of the first drag Queens in Toronto, like the first gay bar, like all those sorts of things. And, you know, it's easy to think of, you know, gay bars, like, you know, cruise and tangos, haha, go there to get wasted kind of thing. But it really gay bars and like queer spaces started off as a place. Like this was the only place where you could go and be yourself, you know, and And now it's great. You know, like, sure, love that, you know, bachelorette parties, things are mainstream enough to to do these things if they're being done respectfully. And I think that's a big if, and it rarely happens. But that to me is what pride events should be about. Like you should, not every single one needs to be learning, of course, because some things can just be fun. Like, yes, it is fun to go clubbing for a lot of people. So that can still be part of pride. But we are like, like there was, there was a friend of mine, uh, and I didn't ask if I could give them a shout out, so I won't, but um, <laughs> in case they don't want it, but um, they did like spoken word. You know who word. you are. Yeah, you know who you are. Um, they did spoken word at, I, I believe it was the last Pride, like that was in person before coronavirus. And it was, you know, like they, like some of the art that can really teach you about people's individual experiences or our community experience and then also I think that I think that's what pride should be about. And I think pride should then also the other half is what we were talking about is pride should be about like, instead of doing a parade down a pre-designated route on young street, why don't we do a parade that ends at like a homophobic business every year, you know, or you like and your Chick-fil-A at, uh, yeah, wherever the, it is. And the pride parade at Chick-fil-A and get them to shut down or get them to stop donating to like conversion. Therapy. Like that is what, like we could still have a parade and make it useful and meaningful and be supporting the the community as opposed to like, let's see which bank spent the most money on flags this year. Like that's <laughs> all it feels like these days. And this, like, this isn't to say that those spaces for, um, I mean, you know, personal is political um, and having a space to be exuberant and, you know, like go to a gay bar and spend the night just like, getting wasted and then dancing with your friends like meet someone whatever that's like that's great and it is um you know it is important that we not focus ourselves at all times on like constantly doing work we need no we, we got to enjoy ourselves for. yeah exactly but um but like if that's all we're doing then we we aren't going to <laughs> like get anywhere further we're not going to accomplish anything more than we mm-hmm. already have which is i mean which is great that we are where we are and not like in the 60s but there also is a lot of progress that still needs to be made um and and we really like especially those of us who are in a privileged position like cannot forget about that just because we're not like getting beat up on the street you know Mm -hmm. just because we aren't and maybe no one is literally being beat up on the street these days because it's more subtle than that but i mean not in toronto and other places certainly just because like you are are living a good life as an open proud like this is something that i've learned and this is not me trying to like like push this onto others it's something that i've had to learn and i think it would be good if we all learned is just because I'm having a great time being an open, you know, queer person doesn't mean that, you know, like that is a result of the many things that make me me. So like 
the fact that I'm, I'm by no means rich. Trust me. If this were a video podcast, you would see it. I'm very happy. It's not a video podcast. Cause you would see the state, the tiny box that I live in. Uh, you know, it's not like I'm rich, but I, I have enough money to afford a place, which puts me above a lot of people. Um, and you know, I, I am white. Like we said, like there's so many other things that play into why I am able to have, you know, a good experience as an openly queer person. You know, we can't forget about other people who are not in that same boat. And even like, and even just at the point we're at, it's not, we're not even at a point right now where like any queer person can really say, at least I I certainly can't, I don't think anyone can like that. You don't experience some still from day to day. Like there's still a lot of work to be done. You know, like we shouldn't like pride month can be so much more than just a big party. It's like, it's like, yes, I love a party. Who doesn't love, especially right now, I would give my left lung for a party these days. You know, it's been a year and a half since I've been able to <laughs> see my friends, let alone have a party. But, you know, going into this Pride Month, it it's like, yeah, I want to enjoy myself as a queer person, but like keeping in mind that there's still so much more to be done so that every single queer person can one day be in a position where they can look forward to Pride Month as just a party. I'm, you know? I'm, I'm glad actually that you brought up the, the times that we're in, you know, these... Of times, whatever. Uh, no, uh, that's a banned <laughs> word. I'm bleeping. I'm bleeping the, the U word from this. These are these are blank times. We are not saying that word. <laughs> these are these are actually precedented times. There have been flags before. Exactly. But, um, that too. In our lifetime times, and you can bleep that if you want to. I, I will. Um, <laughs> like we are in. I mean, for for the last year and change, we've been in a state of upheaval and it has made the cracks in our society that much more visible. This is very much a time for change. Um, mm-hmm. And I that that's something that has helped me get through um, all of this. And, you know, not being able to see friends, not being able to see family, um, I, I hate partying, but yeah, I too would, would, would give my lung for a party. Um, but we have such an opportunity to turn things on their head. And you know, we, we've been, this will be our second year without a pride parade. Next year, we can do something really different. You know, we don't have to just go back to the status quo. And if that is, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if there's one thing that I, I really hope people are going to take away from this unbearable, stupid pandemic, that's it. That, that things don't have to go back to the way they were. Because in a lot of ways, the way things were uh, kind of sucks. And <laughs> we really, really could be doing better. And there's no reason not to. Yeah. And so, and, and the, the thing I want to just wrap up this conversation with is we don't want to, you know, do all this talk and then, you know, provide you with nowhere to go from here. So I did a little bit of research into a couple of things that could be a starting point. So if we have any rich listeners, first of all, hit me up. But second, um, <laughs> you know, consider donating. This is a hard year for a lot of, you know, like whether it specifically be pride Toronto, you can donate to, um, they also like do some things where they like redistribute or find like a local, you know, queer organization that's doing some great stuff. 
an example, if you're in downtown Toronto, the one that I obviously know is the 519. Um, they do a lot to support, you know, some of the most at-risk queer people. Um, so if you go to the519.org, um, and again, obviously I made the joke about if you're rich, like, you know, um, anyone can obviously go there. They have so many resources to learn about where you can just start learning uh, whether it be like you're not really sure how pronouns really work or certain pronouns or if you want to learn more about like the history of pride because you heard us mentioning you know like the the history of pride the history of the queer community um, there's so many things there you can also go to pridetoronto.com uh, there are still pride events happening you know if you want to be an ally this month um and you're thinking, oh, well, there's no pride parade. I can't really do anything. Yes, you still can. There are tons of events. Obviously, a lot of them are kind of like meant for queer people. So don't show up to an event if it's meant to be like a place for just queer people. But there's lots of, I'm sorry, there's lots of educational events, um, lots of just fun events for anyone to be a part of. Um, and even if like, you know, you're like, oh, what am I really doing by going to this event? Like you are making some gay person who planned that event happy because someone showed up, you know, as at the very least you're doing that. So I would encourage everyone to, to check those out. And the last thing uh, that I would recommend checking out is the blacklivesmatter.ca slash proud. Or if you go to the Black Lives Matter Canada website and then click their button that says proud, um, has a really great history, background, uh, a YouTube video, um, donate, uh, like a podcast, all these sorts of things that you can learn more about. Um, so those are all things that I would recommend checking out. Um, great place, whether you want to support financially, support by getting more involved. You know, there's lots of volunteer opportunities that allies are, you know, we need allies to help run certain things, you know, especially at Pride. Uh, and then the last thing is once pride is in person again, go to the community fairs. The it's usually on church street um, on the weekend of the pride parade. And there are just community booths of like queer creators, artists to queer organizations, all those groups. They really are the backbone of pride without pride. Those like without those groups, pride really wouldn't be a thing. It probably wouldn't have started in the first place. Um, so those are my recommendations for people who listened to this. First of all, thank you for listening, but all the way through. But for people who listened and were kind of like, okay, now what? Those would be my recommendations for some good places to start um, if you want to help us moving forward, make Pride a little bit more of a, bring it back to its roots. And um, you've already mentioned most of the the places that would come to mind for me as well in terms of like where you can learn more, donate, um, go to actions, go to events, help out. Um, but I also want to mention Maggie's Toronto, which is an organization kind of for and by sex workers. Um, and there's a lot of intersection there um, with sex workers and the queer community. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, there, there are many um, trans queer sex workers of color in Toronto who, you know, get, get resources, get help through Maggie's and it's an amazing organization. Uh, they do a huge amount for the community. I believe they march in the pride parade. If that is like a qualification or whatever. Um, 
If, you're not um, a real organization if you don't march in the pride parade. Yeah, right. You're not <laughs> not not corporate enough. <laughs> um, yeah. If anything, that's a good thing. <laughs> but but their their website is maggiesto.ca. Um and there's I mean, if you're not a sex worker, you probably shouldn't be like showing up to things. Uh, but by all means donate and like get informed. And yeah, you you can learn some more about a group that's often very, very much like overlooked and misunderstood. So that brings us to the end of our first podcast episode. Thank you to everyone who listened to our first episode. We hope you'll be regular listeners. We're going to be releasing new podcast episodes uh, every other Wednesday. So every two weeks on Wednesday, we hope to have you back. Have a great day.